Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and wonders how much it costs to buy enough fireworks to cause a five-minute delay halfway through. I'm Kevin Day and he is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Hello, Kieran. Are you snowed in like the rest of us? No, no, we've, we've had a, we've had a, a, a twinkling, a, a, a sprinkling of snow, but no more than that. You would have a twinkling of snow in Sussex, wouldn't you? <laughs> yes, we had a brief. You didn't, you didn't fancy going down to the Amex yesterday to let some fireworks off to celebrate like the Cheltenham fans did, thus inadvertently causing the game to be called off for 10 minutes? Uh, no, no. I, I, I watched a bit of the match and got so bored, I, I switched over and watched uh, that, that film, uh, three, three Billboards, which was absolutely fantastic. And, and by all accounts, I think I made the right decision. Oh, well done. Well, well done for being in the fifth round of the Mickey Mouse Cup. It's questions day, Kieran, but of course, uh, we do have some news stories, I'm afraid. Uh, Derby County fans, you are stood down. Go and have some fun in the snow. You're not in this week. Celtic and Arsenal fans, stay where you are. Uh, Kieran, as predicted, a European Super League is back on the agenda. And I say as predicted because not a week goes by, really, without you saying there will be a European Super League sooner rather than later. And here we go looking at sooner rather than later again. Uh, yes, th- this came out on Thursday. And and what happened was uh, UEFA and FIFA, who, who don't really like each other. Mm. FIFA are quite jealous that... Uh, UEFA have the world's most successful competition in the form of the Champions League, and and they've been trying to get a slice of that themselves. But they brought out a joint announcement to say that any footballers who uh, commit to play in a Super League would not be able to play for their countries in the uh, European Championships or the FIFA World Cup. And everybody went, blimey, O'Reilly, what's going on there then? So something was something was clearly rumbling, um, and then uh, I think it was the New York Times and the Times managed to get hold of the document, uh, which which is part of the proposals. And surprise, surprise, Joel Glazer of Manchester United, uh, his name has been linked to this. Um, that document somehow found itself into my intray, uh, as as these things have a have a nasty habit of doing. So. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's as you would expect. The big clubs want more power, more matches against each other, and more certainty. So, what this uh, what this competition involves, and, and it appears to be underwritten by uh, J.P. Morgan, the the big U.S. investment bank, who have got absolutely no interest in football, by the way, mm. but do have a lot of interest in making money. So they were going to uh, underwrite this and, and they were going to pay the clubs or the plan is to pay the clubs around about £300 million as, a, as an introduction fee to the competition. Wow. And that money, in theory, should go on infrastructure spends, which, which might explain why nothing's been spent at Old Trafford for ages because I think the club's waiting for somebody else to, to pay for improvements to the stadium. Um, and it's uh, it's it's broadly similar to to some of the things that we've seen proposed elsewhere. Uh, two divisions of ten teams each. But what is intriguing is that fifteen of those teams out of out of the twenty would be by uh, invitation only, and they would be permanent members. So no matter how crap they are, yeah. they get to stay, which means, of course, they get the guaranteed funds. And then five clubs would qualify somehow for this competition on an annual basis. 
Um, and some of the key drivers for this is they want some of the matches to take place at weekends. And again, we've we've had this discussion before, and we've said yes, uh, you know that that is one of the you know, whether it's in the UEFA Champions League or whatever form of competition um, that they want the they want the weekend matches. And, and the reason for that is that the the big money um, in terms of selling TV rights once you've done the European deals is in Asia. And if you think about it, if, if you've got a Champions League match taking place at eight o'clock UK time uh, on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, well, that's that's 4 a.m. in China mm. and, and the Philippines and, and uh, you know, places of that nature. So there's, there's no there's no there's no significant market for it. But certainly the, the Asian TV fan market is huge. So a a condensed or a, some form of cut down domestic program would be needed. Um, so it, it all appears to be quite Machiavellian. Um, so, you know, again, we've said this before, Carabao Cup will be kicked into touch uh, totally. That will free up well, weekend. So that will free up weekdays to allow the the, uh, the Premier League matches, some more of those to be shifted to midweek, which would free up um, more days to uh, play at the weekends for the, for this European competition. The only beneficiaries of this, of course, will be the owners of, of those clubs and the financial advantage that they would have, which is already huge. You know, Manchester United already have you know, five times the amount of money as the clubs at the, at the wrong end, four to five times the, the money, the clubs at the wrong end of the, of the Premier League. That gap would grow bigger and bigger. So it, it's all being directed by money. Um, the other strange thing... Which, which initially seemed a bit odd, was that um, in, in terms of all the extra money coming in, uh, you're limited to what you can spend on players. So uh, wages and amortisation, which I know is your t- favourite topic, mm. um, would be limited to 55% of revenue. Uh, they currently average 84 in the Premier League. So what the owners are effectively saying is that where we normally have any increase in TV money very quickly flows through to, to the players. By having this rule, the extra TV money is kept in the pockets of the owners. Mm. I'm, I'm intrigued by the five clubs who would be in for or by invite only. Um, and given the size of, of Crystal Palace, I'm assuming that in the first year this takes place, they will be one of the clubs invited to take part in this elite European competition. So does that mean that we would still be in the Premier League and we'd be playing European Super League games as well? Because otherwise, if you're invited in and you might only be in the European Super League for one season, you you stand to lose as much as you gain, don't you? Yes. I mean, it, it, it's very much a case of the owners want to have their cake and eat it. They they, they know that the Premier League itself is very lucrative. Um, the, the owners of the big clubs and we, we we all know who we're talking about it just so happens that of the 15 permanent clubs um in in this uh, in this competition six are going to be from the premier league now they've not been named kevin but i think if we were to do a uh, a quick quiz i think we could prob- probably guess with a degree of certainty who they might be uh, in- including you know including clubs that haven't actually won the yeah, the, yeah, the top it. division or, yeah. you know, 60 years or more. Yeah. So, uh, 
you know, it, it does seem that it's, it's totally geared towards bottom line, nothing to do with football, and it's the, the increasing Disneyfication and monification of the game. They want to, they want to organise it so that uh, they, they cut back on what they regard as irrelevant fixtures. The, the FA Cup will remain, but only the third round would take place uh, on a Saturday. My understanding is that the rest of the FA Cup would, again, become a midweek competition, freeing up, uh, freeing up Saturdays and Sundays for uh, this, this European competition. So you know, ev- everything which can make them more money will be, will be employed. I'm going to add a little value to this podcast now, Kieran, by telling our interested listeners about the expression, have their cake and eat it. Because until about 100 years ago, it used to be eat their cake and have it, which makes much more sense because it means you want to have, eat your cake and still have your cake at the end, Robin. Because if you've got a cake, you're going to eat it, aren't you? Um, now, and, and on the subject of words, Kieran, I, I need to have a, uh, a quick word with Guy about his use of the word reportedly which does the same job as allegedly does on Have I Got News For You, i.e. nothing. Um, Throwing the word reportedly or allegedly in (laughs) does nothing to add to the veracity or otherwise of a story. But a Celtic have reportedly, uh, Guy hears from a bloke in a pub, um, which he shouldn't be in because they're not open. Guy, what are you doing in a pub? He owns it. It's a gold pub. But Celtic have reportedly placed their entire under-18 squad on the UK's government furlough scheme. Yes, uh, you know, we we often talk about the tin ear of football clubs. Well, step forward, Celtic Football Club, in in this regard. Um, if this is true, and and I believe it is the case, mm. um, they're going to take advantage of the job retention scheme, which which is its official name, mm. um, and therefore effectively get taxpayer assistance for their under eighteens. And the reason for this is, well, you know, they, they're they not essential matches, so therefore you can understand that. Mm. Um, football clubs have been, you know, in, in the public eye. And if, if they'd just done that, I'd have said, well, okay, you know, we see clubs in lower leagues taking uh, taking use of the furlough scheme um, and, and the rationale behind that it is fair, um, especially for for people who aren't physically playing football. But this comes hot on the heels of Celtic Football Club taking the senior squad to yeah. Dubai yeah. for a uh, a team building exercise yeah. and a bit of a bit of warm weather training, and it just looks it just looks so dumb. Yeah, how can how can you justify going away, uh, incurring the costs? Taking on the risks of being in a plane by going to Dubai, staying there for a few days, it, it wasn't the most successful of trips because a lot of players have ended up in self-isolation since coming back. And then saying, oh, by the way, we're going to take the ta- taxpayer's dollar as well. If if you are struggling financially, then show that you're struggling financially. And mm. that's one way of not doing so. Well, especially as well, it was a, a friend of mine, his son teaches in Dubai, and he was the first one to tell us they, they have got it over there. I mean, it's, 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 it was almost presented as though Dubai was some kind of North Korean COVID-free haven. That simply isn't the case. So, as you say, it wasn't a good look. But I, I'm actually surprised to learn that under-18s get a, a wage to be furloughed anyway. I, I was assumed that under-18s weren't actually getting but, – but these are obviously professional academy players – that's right. You, right. You can sign a contract on your sixteenth birthday, 
Right. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so yes, they, they would. Yeah, they won't be earning big money, um, but uh, yes, they'll they'll be on contracts, which which will then you know be renewed as they move through their their, their development. Okay. Well, on uh, salaries, uh, guys. I have to say, I'm going to pre- prepare people to the fact that this week the guy is on sparkling form in terms of putting news stories and. Uh, questions together because this is a, a story about salaries and salary caps in particular again as predicted uh, plans for the new 18 million pound salary cap in the championship next season already look dead in the water yes uh, in order for uh, the the championship rules in relation to any form of cost control to, to be approved it has to have a two-thirds majority mm. so therefore we need to get 16 votes. Now, we, we don't know who the 16 clubs are going to be, first yeah. of all, because uh, yeah, there's going to be relegation and promotion to take into consideration. But uh, it, it's fairly clear from uh, the noises coming out of a, a sufficient number of clubs to make that 16 look uh, challenging, if not impossible. Mm. It's dead in the water. Mm. Um, the proposal is for an eighteen million pound salary cap. The average, uh, the average squad sal- or sorry, the average total wage bill in the championship is thirty five. So it, it would be a significant reduction. And and I appreciate that not every single pound of wages goes on players, but uh, it, you know it clearly is geared towards players. So that the players are taking up the lion's share of that. Um, and, and what we've seen is, is issues. We've got clubs coming down from the Premier League who who are, who are having uh, earnings of over £100 million a year. Yeah, so to get that down to 18 would be a challenge. We've got clubs in receipt of parachute payments, and we've got clubs who are being bankrolled by, by rich owners, such as Stoke City. And they yeah. say, well, we want to play it. We, we want to play pay young men a good wage and why shouldn't we? we? We've got the resources to do so. So it is it is going to cause an issue. Um, yeah, if, if if they did introduce it, the, the uh, yo-yo clubs I think would would accelerate because uh, you know, any club that came down, if if they were given the dispensation in their first couple of years uh, in in the championship, cool, they'd yeah. be able to do quite well. Um, and, and also, uh, you know, I. I as you know, I'm I'm no stranger to a bit of creative accounting, mm-hmm. Kevin. And uh, yeah, I came up with half a dozen schemes within sort of ten minutes of looking at this. And one of the one of the finance directors he says, "Well, yeah, there's there's lots of things that we can do. So if we have a player being transferred from one championship club to the other, uh, in order to make the deal work for the player, the selling club gives the buying club." Uh, or gives the player a termination bonus, i.e., you know, a fuck off fee. I think is the technical phrase. Yeah, FOF, yeah. Um, and that's paid in lieu of some of his wages. Or what you could have is when a player signs for the club, he or a member of his family also happens to get a an ambassadorial contract or some form of role with the club sponsor. Which of course doesn't count towards the wages, and there's there's various workarounds in terms of that. Um, so it, it would be really difficult to police. I, I can understand that there are issues in terms of wages not being sustainable, but as we've said, I think from day one of this show, the simple thing to do is when somebody asks for money, um, and, and let's face it, you and I, we both experienced this with producer guy. Mm-hmm. He just turns around and says no. Mm. 
Yeah, no, he, he says it more charmingly than you just said it, Kieran. But yeah, essentially, he's still saying no. Yeah. So, so you know that that's where it it it, it isn't going to work um, un- unless there is a sea change in ownership, or unless the the sort of the the administration and the rules of the EFL change, and that you don't need a two thirds majority. But other than that, I, I just can't see how it's going to work. And yeah, a salary cap of eighteen million compared to the average salary in the Premier League of one hundred and forty. It just creates such a huge gap as as to make promotion and relegation a real challenge. Do you know I'm going to miss you, Kieran? Because inevitably, one day, someone in the Championship or the Premier League, a very wealthy club owner, is going to listen to this pod and say, "Do you know what? We need that Kieran Maguire bloke inside the tent, pissing out." <laughs> Let, let's let's get him off that pod. They can't be paying much. Let's get him. Let's get him into our club because he's going to make us a fortune with his schemes. He came up with 10 in 10 minutes. I mean, that's, that's brilliant. I'm, do, I'm sitting here doodling. I can't think of one. Um, final news story, Kieran. It, it's something that we've touched on tangentially in the past, but we've never really talked about in great detail. But you've been given some insight into how much some of the club fan channels like Arsenal Fan TV earn every year. You get a lot of it. You've got a network of grasses around this country, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, you know, coming from a family for, you know, when you're baptised, the priest says, you know, snitches get stitches, because that is that is the family ethos. Um, I, I do sometimes feel um, uh, uncomfortable, but, you know, never reveal my sources. You, you know my approach to life. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm guessing it might be somebody at Arsenal Fan TV. That would narrow it down if this was Death in Paradise. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, social media um, and the likes of YouTube are proving to be very lucrative for the, these channels, which have been set up by yeah. fans and have become incredibly professional in the way they operate. And they offer uh, a, a dimension of engagement between uh, fans and yeah, an awful lot of the people that, uh, that are watching these things are, are overseas. Yeah. So, so they're, they're international supporters. Um, but it turns out, if these figures are correct, um, Arsenal Fan T, sorry, Arsenal Fan TV, even is is generating one point two million pounds a year. Holy mother, really? Advertising. Um, so you know, and and you do get you know one, one of my bugbears with YouTube, and I appreciate I pay nothing for the service, so I can't moan too much. Is that there are too many adverts on it? Mm. Um, if you if you take a look at uh, Arsenal Fan TV, it's generating monthly views of thirty six million. Wow! Which you know, is a million a day. Which which means we better go and shut up <laughs> when we're because we're, we're chuffed as we as we're closing in on two million for the podcast. Yeah. Um, so it, it it is indicative of you know the 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 usual clubs. So you know Manchester United. I think they've got United Stand, which is getting twenty two million. Uh, views a month, you know that's that's making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds uh, over, over a course of a year. Uh, but it, but also, part of me says, hats off to these these yeah, people behind yeah. it. First of all, they are fans. You know, they, they are they've they've found a formula, they've found a way of engaging. My, my own, I, I don't tend to watch too much of them myself, just because. I find them a bit too populist. I, you know, it's it's easy to to, to throw a uh, a hissy fit upon a defeat, and sometimes they they do look a little bit uh, too pre prepared. Yeah. Um, and why are Arsenal so successful? Why are Arsenal top of the tree? It's because Arsenal are a bit bobbins. 
as far yeah, as their, their achievement. So, so bad news sells, and I think this is a perfect example of it. Well, I think also where Arsenal Fan TV benefited from, especially in the first couple of years, was that fans of every other club used to tune in because it was so it was so bonkers. You just used to laugh at these mad, bizarre Arsenal fans who didn't seem to have any clue about football. And I think they kind of realised that quite early on. So it was a successful business. But, but you've seen that. I mean, things like the Anfield Rap, which started off with you know almost literally three lads in their bedroom, which is now a very, very important and influential football podcast listened to people all over them and fair play to them as well. I mean, these, you know, things like the Anfield rap are, are really, really good listens. You know, as we are just, as you say, every now and again, we get slapped down by Arsenal fan TV in terms of scale, but um, Arsenal fan TV don't get questions from all over the world. Like we do, Kieran. Interesting, <laughs> interesting, insightful questions. Uh, so let's move on to ours this week. Um, uh, there's a couple of proper accounting questions. That are you? I, I, I will do my best. You might you might hear a gentle snoozing sound in the background for a couple of these questions. I'll, I'll, I will engage to the best of my ability. But our first question comes from Michael Short, who is in Switzerland. So he will have never seen snow like the 20 minute bombardment we've just had. My God, <laughs> um, Michael's got an interesting. Uh, question it's a rhetorical one but interesting nevertheless michael says out of all the clubs who have never played in the premier league which for younger listeners and people who have got only sky i should remind you started in 1992 which of the clubs that have never played in the premier league are in the best position to push for natural growth and success at premier league level i.e not just getting there and taking the parachute payments or broadcast income and getting relegated again right so 49 clubs have presently uh, being in in the Premier League, which which I think is a fantastic achievement. Yeah, even in you know, less than thirty years, is that as many as that? Forty nine clubs. Well, uh, you know, Bar- you know, Swindon, yeah, of course, yeah. So, uh, and, and that's that's one of the things which I I love about football is is that it, it does give genuine hope. Um, and, and again, uh, this is where I feel uncomfortable. Yeah, the huge gaps between the Premier League mm. and the Championship mm. to a certain extent are going to to impact upon that. I've identified three clubs, the first of which is Bristol City. Yep. Big, big, it's a big town, big city. I appreciate it's, uh, there's a rugby fan base there. But um, the, the owner has uh, put a lot of money recently into Ashton Gate. So that's looking better and better. Um, that It would sell out every week. Um, it is slightly off the beaten track, but uh, there's it, a huge catchment area there. So... I think that they have the the capability um, and certainly the investment in infrastructure, conferencing facilities, catering facilities. It's all geared up for the Premier League. So that's number one. Secondly, it is a club that's not too far away from it at present uh, is Brentford. Mm-hmm. Uh, because with, with their new ground and, and the ability, uh, again, it's it's in London. Uh, it's, it's in a part of London where they could get you know decent, decent prices they've got they've got new facilities mm. and they've got a really clever development model and and the third club again going back to the southwest is a is a is a club of which we both have a degree of affection for it is plymouth argyle uh, of course uh you know that they they take huge sums of fans to away fixtures uh given that everywhere's a long distance um in in their present position if they got to the Premier League, I think it would be a fantastic. And again, um, they've got an owner who 
is is smart from a business point of view, um, and therefore could lock the club in potentially to uh, you know to, to more than just dipping their toes in for one season. So so those are the three clubs that that I've looked at from a financial point of view. That's not to say that uh, anybody should say that they've not got a chance elsewhere. Um, but you know, in answer to Michael Short's question, yeah, there are certainly clubs that could a get there and b stay there. I was thinking about Brentford the other day. Funnily enough. I, it's not a massive stadium, but it occurs to me that if they were to get into the Premier League, I mean they're they're half an hour from Heathrow. They're, they're perfectly placed, aren't they, for for weekend tourists if they were to get in the Premier League and maybe do something like along the lines of Fulham's, you know, little neutral bit. They could they could clean up if they if they reserved five hundred seats every week for people that could just fly in very easily. That's a, that's a potentially money making scheme there, isn't it? Yes, yes, certainly. Um, and remember, you know, Burnley have been in the the Premier League, you know, for a good few seasons now. Uh, Turf Moor's got a capacity of what twenty one thousand. Uh, Brentford will be charging London premiums, and as you say, they they could really have some uh, quite creative schemes for uh, you, know, you 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 buy you buy your ticket in New York, you fly across to London, you get met by a concierge and, and, a, and a chauffeur. Um, you know, it, it's a weekend away. They, they could come up with some really uh, very lucrative packages, especially if they are playing some of the bigger clubs, or or they wouldn't even have to do that. You know, such is the allure of the Premier League. Mm. Um, you know, for somebody to be, able to, you know, for people from overseas, say, well, I've been to see a Premier League football ground it is still uh, is still something which is great to tell your mates about. Mm. I, I like it when you think I have good ideas, Kieran. But I've I've known you long enough to recognise the tone in your voice, which is, yeah, it's a good idea, son, but it's not going up in the fridge. I recognise that tone of voice. Um, Alex Bradley is a Birmingham fan, and Alex, I know they've had snow badly up in Birmingham, mate. You've not seen anything like we've had this morning. It's up to the cat's ankles in the garden this morning, Daddy. Tell you, um, Alex Bradley, the Birmingham fan, has been told that as part of the Che Adams deal to Southampton, Birmingham received. £20,000 for every appearance he makes. Uh, Alex says he was surprised at this as he's only ever heard of appearance fees being part of the player's contracts rather than money to the selling club. Are there any other unusual continuous add-ons you are aware of in transfer deals? Now, I like questions that start, I've been told, but it does rather depend on who did the telling, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, if, if, it, if it's Karen from Facebook, <laughs> you know, I, I always take she's these a, things with a, a slight... She's Karen from Facebook. <laughs> well, I mean, she was right about 5G. And, yeah, you know, fair point, yes, she was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Fair <laughs> point. Now, one, the Donald Trump tried to stop it. <laughs> um, or lick it, so, one or the other, yeah. <laughs> yes. So in terms of this, and, and in respect of Che Adams, by the way, that, that's not going to be for every single match he plays for... Uh, for Southampton, you know that right. will be capped at say forty matches and two million pounds. So, so there always is, uh, is there always is a cap in respect of these things of this nature. Um, it, it's probably more common than, than Alex realizes. Oh, okay. uh, appearance based, and um, if you like the small print of football club accounts, and look, looking at this conversation, at least one of us does. Um, you, you'll find in, in the small print that, that clubs actually normally set out um, the total potential amounts that they could have to play to pay to other clubs and players uh, in terms of issues of this nature. Right. Um, so it, it's not just appearances for the club. It also could be international caps. So 
um, the the selling club might get money for you know the, the each of the first ten or twenty international caps. Right. Um, I've also seen uh, goal bonuses going from one club to another. Um, clean sheets, you know, everything that potentially uh, clubs and, and the most common one, and I appreciate it's not a match by match one, is um, especially in the January window, is relegation avoidance bonuses. If you if you make a signing in January, right. so the fee is three million pounds, and if you stay up, that goes up to four million. So this twenty thousand pound per match appearance fee for Che Adams is that to get round the idea that the buying club could say, right, we'll, we'll give you an extra £2 million if he pays 40 games, but then after 39 games, he doesn't play the 40th game. Perfect. Is, is that as simple as that? Oh, I'm on, I'm on fire today. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Um, our next question is from David Hoogerwerth, uh, open brackets, Hoogie, close brackets. Uh, Hoogie has hit my nail right on the head, Kieran. Uh, Hoogie says, could the FA bring in a service charge whereby they charge, say, 5% of clubs' total transfer fees and use that as an emergency fund for clubs in times of crisis? Now, as you know, Kieran, this is virtually the first thing I said to you when we met for the first time in those glorious pre-COVID days in a pub with a slightly embarrassed guy hopping from foot to foot, hoping I didn't notice your Brighton badge. When I, when I, when I said, I, and I've always, I've been saying this for 20 years, why can't the FA charge 1%, 5%, 10%, whatever it is of a club's turnover every year that goes into a benevolent fund that is then properly managed? And if a club does get into trouble through no fault of their own, they can apply for funds through that. that for me, that just seems like a simple way out of the problems for a lot of clubs that are struggling, it, it, you know, now would be a very good example. 
Uh, well, th there is nothing to stop them from having something of this nature. However, there are some existing commissions that, that do take place in respect of transfers. So if it's an international transfer, then a proportion of the fee goes to um, the, the clubs that the that the player pay, played for uh, before he was 23. So, so, so that goes back to, to help academies and development. The player himself will usually get a slice of the fee. Um, and, and so there, there, are, there are amounts which are taken out of the headline figures that we see. Um, the, the only thing stopping this is it, the clubs have got to vote for it. Right. And what the well-run clubs will say isn't this effectively um, giving a license for those clubs which are run in a more cavalier manner to continue to act, in, safe in the knowledge that even if things do go wrong, um, then somebody's going to come in and bail them out. So uh, I, I can understand uh, the, the, the Hoogmeister um, and, and his viewpoint, and it, and it does it does have some merit. Um, there is something which is already taking place, which, which uh, means that you know, money is already going out of the, 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 those transfer fees that we see, which does get reinvested in the game. It just gets reinvested in slightly other places. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't argue for an automatic bailing out in, in cases of irresponsible clubs or serially irresponsible clubs. But if there was that pot of money there that when you know, circumstances have conspired to make things very difficult, and if, if the FA had that or whoever it was had that pot of money there, it would be nice for clubs to know about, it, but it's um, I'm just too much um, too much of a romantic here, and that's always I'm not a hard headed. I, I think we did actually remember I I had that sort of brainwave when I was out walking the dog one day, and I, and I wrote down ten things. I think this was actually one of the one of the items for all transfers above ten million pounds. Yeah, it on, goes yeah. into some form of. Uh, either grassroots fund or, or, or you know, emergency fund, similar to what we see in the travel industry with the likes of Abta and Atoll. Yeah, well, let's let's make it happen. I'm not sure how, but let's let's. That's how it happens on telly, isn't it? Somebody says, "Let's make it happen," and then there's a montage cut to guy rolling in money. And um, Dave Parker, <laughs> I, I, this is arguably one of my favourite questions of the of the of the entire year, Kieran. Uh, not this year, because that wouldn't be much of praise, would it? But of the last year just gone. Uh, Dave Parker has a very simple question. Can I ask, says Dave, how the financial structure of a football club works? Um, that's what we're here for, Dave. Uh, in particular, Dave uses the example of Arsenal is, and says they can somehow have a net spend of £60 million in the summer transfer window, yet still make 55 staff redundant. Now, I'm aware, Kieran, this could be a very long answer, but, um, so perhaps if you could sort of truncate it. <laughs> right. Yeah, sounds like the Baroness at night, that. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, can we truncate that as well, Kieran? That's okay. <laughs> are we doing, um, are we manscaped this week? Because truncating sounds like something manscaped would do, wouldn't it? Well, y yes, you, using the Lawnmower 3.0. <laughs> remember, you get 20% off if you use the code name Price of Football and free shipping. Um, in terms of, of David's uh, points that he's raised, and they do have some validity, football clubs have a variety of budgets. One budget will be a playing budget, and that will be ring fence. And that will say to the, the manager, this is the minimum amount of money that you've got to, to, to play with this year. Yeah. Uh, we might be able to give you some more money 
if we are successful with regards to the the other budgets of the club. Let's call those the operational budgets. And and those are the day-to-day overheads um, which the clubs incur. Now, if, if the club can minimize or reduce its operational budget, then that's potentially more money to go into the pot for the manager. So so that's that's the position we, we see ourselves in. I can understand David's uh, feeling of unease because it, it does seem uh, it does seem inappropriate that clubs are spending huge sums of money whilst making staff redundant. But again going sort of linking into Arsenal TV, fans don't actually care. Mm. Or you know, let's let's be brutally honest. What matters is ninety minutes you know, a, a, during the match and getting a result. And if making fifty people redundant uh, frees up some extra cash, which gets invested in the squad, which allows them to get a transfer over the line or to to renegotiate a contract, and that player delivers, then. You know, it's, I'm, I'm, fans don't explicitly think this. You know that, that it's therefore okay to make the people redundant. But if it if it gets our results, then who cares? Yeah, they cared about the mascot, and I, I think I think Arsenal fans, to be fair to they, there probably would have been many who had a sense of unease about the whole thing. But as you say, if if that then leads to you know the club surviving and thriving, and that money gets spent on players, you. You're probably absolutely right, and and also, let's be fair, Kieran. You and I are as subjective as any fan. We tend to and any negative things we hear about the club, which is more of a problem for you, of course, than it is for a Palace fan. But we tend to brush them under the carpet, don't we, and have a go at other clubs. Uh, but there's, there are very few clubs that don't have fans things that could make their fans uneasy about something during the course of a working week. Yeah. Uh, Liam Day. Um, now, this is a, sorry, mate. Is this another relative of yours? It, it, it could well be, Kieran, quite, quite possibly. Uh, all I know is that somewhere along the line, Liam has got a dairy worker in his family background. So that's the only thing we share. It's not. It's a nice name, but it, it's pretty much it, yeah, it's, it's short for dairy worker. There's more. In fact, there's more days in the Cambridgeshire phone book, uh, Cambridge phone book, than there are in the London one, apparently. So my Uncle Reg used to tell me. Um, Mad Uncle Reg. Uh, I never checked it because most of his facts weren't true. Uh, but Liam Day, as a, a, a what I think you'll find an interesting question anyway in particular, is there a case to make football clubs unlimited companies? As I understand it, says Liam, this would ensure that all liabilities and debts would then belong to the owner rather than the club. Will this ensure better running of clubs and prevent a Berry Macclesfield situation? Or have I misunderstood the principle, says Liam? Well, th- this is the principle of... Um, limited versus unlimited liability. So if you if you are an owner of a limited company, then your losses are limited to the amount of money that you initially invested. Oh, okay. If you are a effectively a freelancer or a, a sole trader or a an unlimited partner, then um, if the business uh, has financial challenges, then you become personally responsible should the business be unable to to pay for them. Um, now, the reason why limited companies were set up initially was to try to attract a variety of people to in, invest in companies. Um, th- there were lots of financial scandals in the 19th century, which led to the, the initial um, Companies Act being created, which I think was 1901. Um, And uh, on on the back of that, it allows people like you or I 
to to invest. So you, you could buy a hundred shares in Crystal Palace, should you show desire. I I actually own some shares in some football clubs, but I'm I'm not not at liberty to say which ones. But I wouldn't be prepared to put that money into those clubs if I knew that if the club went under, I then become personally responsible for the the outstanding debts and and paying off the unsecured creditors. So so the logic behind this is to say to somebody. Uh, even to Roman Abramovich, you, know, you, you can put in a billion pounds, um, but that's your limit. You know, and, and if, if Chelsea go under, you're, they're not going to be coming after you for any more. So you know, my gut reaction, I fully understand where Liam's coming from. Um, I think identifying the, the rogue owners or having some control over rogue owners, such as if you do buy a football club, you have to put a a deposit down into an escrow account, which you only get back, say, three years after selling the club, is is more of a way of, of attracting people with wealth into the game um, and ensuring that they don't uh, misuse the the love and the affection and, and the position of that football club in the individual town or city which it represents. Every single broadcasting bone in my body is is aching to find out which clubs you're talking about. But I'm just worried that Guy would tell me off and say, you know, we had a four and a half hour pod because you just kept chucking football club names at Kieran. And he just went, no, no. <laughs> so we will move on instead to a question from Simon Robson. Uh, Simon has a proper accounting question, Kieran, which of course you love. And it's a question about two-year loan deals and how they are accounted. To my understanding, says Simon, when a club buys a player, the fee is effectively capitalised as an intangible asset and then amortised over the contract's length. Uh, Correct. correct, Thank you. I was about to say correct. Um, I thought it would be better coming from you. Uh, But, says Simon, would this be the case in a two-year loan deal based on the loan fee as when James Rodriguez went to Bayern from Real Madrid? Um, this, this is uh, an intriguing one because the rules in, have been changed recently as far as the accounting of this um, and also depending upon whether you are preparing your accounts using UK rules or international rules. Um, there's a case for saying that a two-year loan deal should be treated um, as simply a two-year rental agreement. So therefore, you you don't show a, a transfer fee as such. You know, one of the reasons why we do show a transfer fee is effectively saying that the player can then be sold by the club. And clearly, you can't do that with a loan deal. Um, under some recent rules uh, governing the leasing of other assets, uh, even short-term assets, even short-term leases, which which this is, for two years, there is a case for capitalising it. Uh, the downside of that, you'd also have to go and show the total amount owed to the other party at the at the date that you sign the uh, the two year loan deal, which which clubs don't want to do because it increases the amount of debts in their accounts. Well, as again, I said, guys on fire this week, and Mark Coles is a friend of the show, has a, a similar question. But Mark wants to know about academy players and the amortisation of their value. If he or she comes through an academy, says Mark, the current contract value will be amortised down, or would you use what the transfer fee would be as a revaluation reserve type account or different? No, uh, if you're an academy player, um, you will be in the accounts at a zero value. So if you think about it from Palace's point of view, um, when when Wilf came through the academy, um, as far as the balance sheet was concerned, he he went in as as a zero fee, um, and then when United, then when Palace signed him again. 
um, he would have gone in because what you actually capitalize in the accounts is the compensation that you give to the previous employer. So because you are transferring is registration and a, and a transfer fee is, in fact, a compensation fee to, to another employer of the individual. OK, uh, firstly, that's Mr. Zahar to you, um, if you don't mind. Uh, we get to call him Wilf. Um, secondly, now, I, I, you have answered this question for me before, but remind me. So Marcus Rashford, then, technically, does that mean he has no value on Man United's books because he came through their academy? Right. There's a difference between cost and value. Ah. He has no cost. Ah, right. Um, okay. Does he have value? Yeah. Yes, um, the the yeah. trouble trouble with accountants is that they've got no, they've got no concept of value. Um, they just look at the cost of things. If they can find a piece of paper which says we've paid thirty quid for this, they're happy. Um, so when you take a look at a football club balance sheet, it bears no resemblance to the the value of the club because you will have players coming through the youth ranks. And clearly, you know, Manchester United have got Marcus Rashford, they've got Greenwood, they've got McTominay and, and, and many others. Um, so th- therefore, the, the balance sheet vastly undervalues the players and also it ignores um, what I think is the biggest asset of, of all football clubs, which is the devotion of the fan base. You know, we will be there next year. You will be there. You know, you'll be going to Crystal Palace until you're in a box. And, you know, it's the same for, for any dedicated fan. Uh, that is worth an absolute fortune to clubs, but they don't know how to, to work out its value. Mm. Uh, my accountant, Bobby Numbers, has spent a lot of time this week phoning up to say, have you got a piece of paper saying this is worth £30? Uh <laughs> any, it's tax return week, isn't it? It's tax return week. Any piece of paper will do. We've we've already decided that I should be paying my tax bill in instalments this year and next and the year after that, possibly. Um, Ronif Naya, uh, I apologise if I've pronounced that wrong, uh, but Ronif um, is in India and says that in India we have a streaming service linked to the main sports broadcaster and recently they've started streaming Scottish Premiership games. How much would such an arrangement earn the Scottish Premiership? And in brackets, he says the same streaming service offers access to English Premier League games for around £4 a year. Well, Ronif, we've actually been covering this, Kieran, haven't we? But from the Scottish end, so to speak. So I'm willing to say with Glasgow Rangers, I believe, brokering this deal or owning this deal, it's probably not very much money going to the Scottish Premier League. That's right. So so Rangers decided to negotiate with uh, Indian broadcasters um, and therefore they they will be taking a commission and deservedly so. They've taken on the risk. Um, I think it's interesting also that Rangers have recruited um, an Indian female player for their women's team. Um, And I think this will help to drive interest and traffic. Uh, you know, in terms of the broadcasts, but uh, you know, in terms of the, the the rest of the money for the SPFL, with, with due respect to Scottish football, I, I don't think it's going to be moving the dial very much because um, I, I was uh, I, I was teaching Phil Brown uh, ten days ago. Yeah, you remember Phil Brown, ex ex owner, sorry, ex ex manager of Hull, um, oh, and he's actually, currently managing I've, a team in Phil. India. Yeah, is he? Okay. Um and you know, he says yeah there's a lot of interest in the in the Premier League. Right. But I don't think it extends beyond that. Well that's interesting because I've got that, that 4 pound a year then if if there is a lot of interest in the Premier League 4 pound a year doesn't seem a lot of money because normally when I ask you about that you'll say that's because it's in a country where there's no real demand for Premier League football but clearly there is. Well yeah 4, four pounds a year to me 
that 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 sounds ridiculous. I mean, good, I, yeah. is, is that is that actually four pounds a month? I could understand it, but it's it's. I, Kieran, I'm merely a cipher. I read out what guy to. Oh yeah, yeah, same it, same you, it. Exactly. Let's let's not start uh, picking at that here. Um, I'm also. I think Ronif would be interested in this as well. The, the Rangers, I still haven't quite got to the bottom of the Rangers Scottish Premiership deal. Were the rest of the Scottish Premiership aware that Rangers were doing this on their behalf, or was this just a piece of really clever initiative from Rangers that has has paid off? Well, my my understanding is that uh, Rangers were looking at the the, the markets in which um, Scottish football was presently being distributed. You know, India, huge country, mm. uh, an awful lot of you know, very, very passionate sports fans, and said, "We're willing to take a punt on it." And you know, I, you know, I say to them, "Good luck, and hope it comes off." Uh, you know, we're hoping to get Neil Doncaster back uh, to come on the show, so you know, we'll perhaps this is one of the things we we can have a chat with him about. Oh, Neil was very good when he was on the show before. My God, we've got a lot more questions to ask him now than we had then, haven't we? Uh, wow, that will have to be, I think that might have to be a, a special. Our penultimate question comes from Nathan Edge. Hello, Nathan. Um, uh, and, and again, he's been linking questions because it's about streaming. Nathan says, uh, and again, this is, a, I think, a really interesting thought. Nathan says, do you think clubs might want to continue a streaming service even after fans come back, especially in League 1, League 2 level? I'd rather see full stadiums, says Nathan, wouldn't we all? But could there be a financial benefit to scrapping the Saturday 3pm blackout rule and uh, continuing to receive income through streaming and paper game? Um, yeah, it's an, it's an intriguing one, this. I mean, we, we do have the iFollow service operating in the EFL, where, where you pay ten pounds a match, but if, if I'm if I understand this correctly, that doesn't cover that doesn't cover as, as Nathan, which is Nathan Edge. That that's the name of a spy, surely. It's a great yeah, name, yeah. Or, or it, it is. A- I always go straight to Nathan Detroit, but I'm from a musical background, darling. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a great name. Nathan's always yeah. This is a there's a wealth of possibilities in that name. Yes, but uh, the as Nathan Nathan said the the three p.m. Uh, Saturday rule is that that you cannot broadcast um, football matches. Now, if the government decides in in a post COVID environment that they're going to scrap that particular law, um, and there will be pressure on them to do so, then then you could see an interest in this. Um, whether it could be done in such a way that it's only for away fans, because mm. you know if, if you are Exeter and you're playing Cambridge realistically how many fans are you going to take one way or the other um you know, would it actually be more lucrative to to charge the fans 10 pounds a match instead of going to watch the match and, and splitting them up what what i suspect the, the efl will do is that they will be getting out their spreadsheets they'll be crunching their numbers to work out whether overall um it will be worth it because you know, away fans tend to be quite hardcore yeah, and you know my view is that I, I don't go. I don't go to to Barnsley or to Carlisle or you know, wherever it's going to be for an away fixture. I don't go to there for the football. I go there for it's you know, it's your mates. It's the giggles. It's it's the lunatic memories. You know, it, yeah, I, I remember going to to Plymouth for a, for a, it was an end of season game. It was nothing in it for either team, um, and one of our lads got absolutely bladdered in the pub uh, before the match. He fell asleep on the terraces because it was quite hot. It was you know April May game. Uh, the police kicked him out. He staggered back to Plymouth Station, 
and got on the train, not realising he was going in the wrong direction <laughs> and, and ended up at the arse end of Cornwall at about 10 o'clock at night. And, it, and it's that's that's what away trips are about. It's not about the football because, you know, watching Brighton play away for, you know, 40 years, you know, eight times out of 10, we're not going to win. It, well, more than eight times out yeah. of 10, we're not going to win. Yeah. Well, you know what those Brighton fans are like. They get that third glass of Chardonnay inside them and uh, <laughs> a crusty cucumber sandwich and there's no stopping them. I've, in terms of streaming, it often occurs to me, Kira, because there are, joking aside, there, there are, as you say, there are hardcore of away fans, but there are a lot of people through work commitments or family commitments or just getting older commitments who don't fancy the schlep every week that, you know, perhaps Palace fans that may go to see games at, in Watford or Tottenham or whatever, but don't really fancy the midweek trips. I always thought rather than individual screen, streaming, beanback is where the money is. Because I think most fans would say, right, I'm, I can't afford this trip to Plymouth from Carlisle. I don't really want, want to watch it on my own. But if Carlisle are showing it to 300 Carlisle fans on a big screen in the in one of the lounges there, I think that's where people would turn up and watch it, I would, I would say. Yep, I, I, I think that's a perfect idea. It's just a case of getting enough clubs to buy into that to allow the EFL to change their rules. So yeah, remember, you've got to get this two-thirds majority, yeah. and some owners will be reluctant. But if they could, if the home team could be compensated for the beanback, everybody could end up winning because you could charge... Um, you, know, you could charge twenty five or thirty quid. You get to see the match. You you get you get a free drink. You get you know you, you get a pie thrown in and so on. And you think, well, actually, it, with the amount it saved me on petrol and the amount of earache it's also saved me because I'm at, I'm now going to be home at, at six o'clock as opposed to ten. Uh, it could be worthwhile, and everybody wins. Mm. Uh, yeah, I've had two good ideas on the same pod. I'm, I'll be hosting this thing in a month or two. <laughs> um, now, Kieran, our final question is from Tim Evely. Uh, you may think this is a frivolous question, but Tim's a Palace fan and he's a big unit, so I'm allowing it, basically. <laughs> and he's got my... Uh, he's, he knows where I live, basically. Um, hello, Tim. Uh, following on... From- Following on from the news that Sheffield Wednesday are owned by someone who made their money in tuna fish, should club nicknames and badges be altered to reflect how owners made their money? So Wednesday become the tuna, Brighton become the gamblers, and Palace become the advertisers. Uh, and Tim spells Brighton with four asterisks. Good lad. Well done. But it's, I quite like that idea, frivolous or not. I quite like I, that. I, yeah. I, I initially said, yes, this this would be good. But, you know, and, and, and I don't like taking advantage of this because it's a club for whom I've got huge affection. You know, do, do Berry become the asset strippers? Uh, um, and, and, and then, of course, we get the, the thorny issue of, uh, you know, West Ham. You know, the fans singing, <laughs> come on, you dildos. <laughs> Um, and up the butt plugs really isn't isn't, isn't going to work, is it? Or, or perhaps it will. Up the that's the reason I left this question in. I knew I knew this would get your yeah, juices flowing. Um, well, Kieran, thank you. It's been another pod. I've got to. Uh, well, I've, as you know, I, I sit here and record in what used to be our garage, but isn't anymore. But I've got a terrible, terrible three three yard wall. How am I going to get from the garage to the back of the house? I simply don't know. In this. In this flurry, because it's flurrying now. It's flurrying now. Organised through your neck of the woods. I might need a St Bernard. I might get Ali to send me out some tennis rackets and I'll walk up. I used, <laughs> I used to be, is uh, another fact for you, everybody, in case this comes up. In the, I used to be secretary of the British Olympic Snowshoe Association, you know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know your facts have got <laughs> your facts are more racy than mine, but it's it's true. I used to I'll explain in further detail on a different pod. Um, I'd rather have been in Moscow with the girlfriend of a mafia chief, but there you go. Um, questions at priceoffootball.com if you have any questions for us on any aspect of football finance, or indeed, you know, we can open it up. We'll, we'll take questions about relationships, I think, Kieran, from now on. Um, just that's what you want. Questions at priceoffootball.com. We will see you on Thursday for a news pod. Uh, and in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire to say goodbye. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the ball.